Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. It's not been a hugely busy week in cricket. Australia was sort of saved by rain in Sydney. They escaped with a draw but ultimately lost the series 2-1 as India became the first Asian side to win a test series in Australia. New Zealand beat Sri Lanka 3-0 in the ODI series between the two sides with Ross Taylor scoring 281 runs across the three games and South Africa sealed their test series against Pakistan with a game to spare. I'm Yaz Rana and I'm joined by Wisden Cricket Monthly's magazine editor and regular guest on the show, Joe Harmon. And for the first time, we're delighted to have Lizzie Ammon, a cricket reporter at the Times. A warm welcome. Lizzie, what's your moment of the week? Uh, actually, it was um, interviewing Steve Elworthy, who is the managing director of the World Cup. We're into World Cup year and um, I was lukewarm, I have to say, about the World Cup just because the format is so... Goes on for a while. It's, uh, yeah, it takes, you know, nearly seven weeks to go from 10 teams to two, which is painful. Yeah. Um, there are 58 games, including the warm-up games. That's a lot of games. But actually talking to Steve Elworthy, he's a hugely impressive guy. Um, he's got a vast amount of experience of organising events. You know, he did the Champions Trophy, he did the Women's World Cup. He's, he's, he's a really impressive guy. And it does seem like they've got all the boxes ticked to try and keep the momentum going through that long period. He recognises the challenges. They're trying to do really good things in terms of taking it away from the venues to fan parks, engaging um, a million children, whether that be in the grounds or at schools. And actually, I thought, this is a real opportunity. That's the window when there is no football, there's mm. nothing else, Wimbledon maybe, but there's nothing else. You know, cricket really has got an opportunity, English cricket, mm. an opportunity there in that six-week window to showcase cricket. Um, and they do recognise that and they are going to do some, some really exciting things, I think. That That's all great, but I still can't really get away from the fact that it's such a long tournament. You know, I think about the Football World Cup this year. It was a similar length, but there were so many more teams and each team doesn't play too much. More scope for shocks. So I think that's what's something that really... Uh, won the attention of people watching it compared to previous tournaments. I still think uh, it's hard to have an exciting World Cup with that many games. I've had a, a couple of 
sports fan friends, not necessarily cricket fan friends, mm. interested because the World Cup's coming and asked, how do I get tickets? How long does it go on for? And you say seven weeks. That's seven weeks. I mean, that's <laughs> inexplicable in any other sport. Yeah. It just it just doesn't happen. And whereas the Champions Trophy, uh, short and sweet, yeah. it's just it's the perfect way of doing that tournament with that many teams. Ideally, you have a few more teams than yeah, 10. Absolutely. Uh, and then that changes things again, but we're not going to get that for a, a little while, it seems. It makes it almost uh, more ridiculous having such a long tournament when there are only 10 sides. The IC, as you say, have got it right, not just the Champions Trophy, but the Women's World T20, I thought, was a great format. I was like, uh, the only shame of that was the quality of the pitches, really. Mm. But in terms of the length and uh, intensity of the tournament, it was great. Three group games a day. Um, it's great watching. Joe, what's your moment of the week? So mine was uh, yesterday, uh, Wednesday's unveiling of Ashley Giles as England's new director of cricket. He started the work this week, uh, replacing Andrew Strauss. Some big shoes to fill. Uh, I know Strauss isn't everyone's cup of tea among certainly the county loyalists related to the 100 and the ECB in general aren't particularly popular. But I think he'd be hard pushed to claim that Strauss hasn't done a fantastic job with the national team, particularly in 50 over cricket. But I think we're seeing that starts to come to fruition in, in test cricket as well. And what a time for Giles to get this job. You don't often get an opportunity to come into a job where everything's basically going pretty well. You're usually having to try and, and fix a fix a problem. So I think for the next few months, Giles just needs to kind of let it let it go as it was. The the big first decision he's gonna have to make is who his new coach is gonna be, or coaches, uh, when Trevor Bayliss stands down at the at the end of the summer. Um and we think? haven't we haven't actually talked about this before. So yeah. I I really think Gillespie is, is the person for the job this time. I know he was interviewed last time. I think there's a, there'll be a good level of continuity from Bale. It's not necessarily the Australian thing, although there is that, but uh, the style and management, um, I think he is a big fan of aggressive uh, cricket, played with freedom, which I think suits his current team. I think he'd do really well with the press. Uh, he enjoys talking about cricket to the press. That really comes across, I think, uh, which would suit him well. So I think he's, he's the man for the job. And I think, sorry, just quickly on... Uh, split coaches I'm not a fan of that I think I'd rather have uh, an assistant who takes over for certain series like Farbrace has done successfully and just one man at the helm uh, who should be in my view Gillespie I mean Ashley I went to the press conference um, yesterday and he is not ruling out anything or anything in uh, um, uh, he did sort of uh, allude to perhaps um, one man with two men underneath him uh, which can allow for some workload management I mean it is bonkers Trevor Bailey's never. I mean, he just never has any time off, does he? he no. People he, criticise him for not watching enough county cricket. He hasn't got. He, hasn't got <laughs> yeah. he literally. I look at the. You know where he is, and he just hasn't got time to go to county cricket. It's not that he doesn't want to. Um, I do think, uh, particularly with the Test Championship and a, a World T Twenty, though, and there were World T Twenties in consecutive years, aren't there? Uh, coming up in twenty twenty and twenty twenty one, or England have a crazy year. They play like fifteen it, Test it's matches. It's ludicrous, and I don't think you get the best out of people if you just have one man trying to do the whole lot. But there is a there is a, um, a, a, a an argument to be had about having a head coach and then two assistant coaches, one with a test focus and one with a limited overs focus who can then step in and out yeah. as you need to. And it might mean you have to spend more money on coaching. Um, yeah, there's money for Even though they're cutting the budget. But. Well, it's interesting when we say cutting the budget. They're cutting the budget in certain areas um, and, and it's quite a large ludicrous budget. amounts of money going into other areas. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that later. <laughs> with, um, just, uh, with, that's why I'm hopeful Farbrace would stay on. Maybe he, he might possibly think he's outgrowing the role as assistant, but I'd be, I'd be really hopeful that he stays on as an assistant because... The players seem to really respect him and enjoy working I with think him. The other man that is really popular, both with um, the ECB and the players, is Silwood. 
yeah. and they they really like him. He he's genuinely a um a, he's I mean he's had a slight meteoric rise, but that's because he's very very good at it. He's stepped into the coaching role really really naturally. So do you think he could be promoted to number one job? Well, perhaps not this time. It might just be a little too early for him, but I think they will try and sort of elevate him into a, you know, managing series or something, um, uh, which uh, is interesting. He's a, he's a really good guy, I think, a really good coach, and the players seem to respond to him well. I do wonder with Farbrace whether actually he might have had enough. Well, he's, he's in demand, isn't he? There's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's he's already had approaches. All, there are jobs all over county cricket for him. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder whether he might be running the course of... I mean, it, it is bonkers how many nights mm. away you are. You know, and there comes a point where your family go, I'd quite like to see you before yeah. you die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, looking further afield, any other potential names? Gary Kirsten's been talked about. And I yeah. mean, as much as I think Gillespie would be a great appointment, I wouldn't have too much criticism of Gary Kirsten. Um, I mean, he's got... Hugely respected. I mean, Virat Kohli thinks the absolute world of him, which is which is quite a good starting point, I'd say. So I wouldn't have too too much of an issue with him either. I do wonder if it's a worry that there's not a great long list of English candidates who shine through for um, just whether we're investing enough in coach development yeah. um, in this country. I mean, Ashley was not in any way the person has to be English at all, um, just the best person for the job. But you do wonder. I mean, we've got eighteen first class counties. Mm. There yeah. must be someone. Does I'm lucky for Peter Moores? Yeah. Uh, well, yes. Um, <laughs> if I was him, I'd stay well away. I think. I think he's been pretty poorly treated uh, in the past. Yeah. And well, quite. And I, I think we might see Andy Flowers' time at the ECB coming to an end soon. Um, I think he will, in a slight football managerial merry-go-round, go and take Ashley's job in really? uh, Warwickshire. Um, but is yeah, that just international burnout, or is he? I, I, I think he probably thinks that job's quite attractive because it's a, it's quite a big job at Warwickshire because it encompasses more than just managing the first team. It's, it's sport quite, director, it's isn't sport it? Which I always thought was an odd title. Well, but. yes, but I think it sort of extends to the other things that mm. they do at Edgebaston. So it's quite a, a, a big job and also um, it means he can be at home yeah. Yeah. near his kids. That is nice. My moment of the week was talking to Kirsty Gordon yesterday. So I interviewed her for wisdom.com. Uh, not going to give too much away. The full article goes up tomorrow. Um, but she was talking about how she had to commit to England before she'd even played a game in the KSL, which for a young player who's barely hadn't played any press for cricket was an almighty risk that paid off big time. But um, it did make me think that uh, that's, a, that's a massive decision for a young person to make. And also she was very complimentary of the Scottish development system that has produced two world-class spin bowlers in recent years, not only Kirsty Gordon, but Lee Kasparek for New Zealand. And unfortunately, neither of them have really gone on to play for Scotland. Um, so what was interesting was that uh, she, didn't, she didn't in any way blame the ECB, but she said that it's not an ICC directive that um, associate players can't play in the KSL. It's an ECB decision to focus on their own players and players who are available for England. Yeah, I wonder if the, there should be more done by the ECB to help associate nations. From her, from her point of view, I mean, that was a big punt as well because mm. England have a wealth of spin bowlers and yeah. Sophie Eccleston, she's arguably the, the best in the world already and certainly I think will we'll become that. Um, with with Hazel as well, uh, Laura Marsh didn't even make the squad. Alex when, Hartley didn't make Alex the squad. Alex Hartley, so when Kirsty Gordon made that call, she can't have really necessarily thought she was going to go to the World T20. Oh, it, was only, it was only really through yeah. her KSL performances that she put herself in the... In the mix. And even then, I don't think she thought that she'd go to the World Cup really? with all those people ahead of her uh, at the time, at least. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting one. Elsewhere in the world, um, Australia have made a few changes to their test squad. We talked about this last week. The selectors might have listened to the podcast. They picked Joe Burns, Matt Renshaw is back, and also young Will Pekowski. Only eight first-class games to his name. Um, 
only a couple of hundreds, but he's made a big impression already. Yeah, he's averaging 75 or something in Shield cricket this year. He, he had that um, little break, didn't he? A six-week yeah. break because of uh, um, some mental health issues. I actually think it's really um, admirable that they didn't take... That was not an issue, you know, that was not a, not a problem for selection. Mm. You know, you can see how sometimes selectors might think, oh, is he ready? Do we don't want to put him this and the other? But they looked at the stats, they looked at, you know, his potential and, and have picked him. Um, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big call because he's not played much. Um, but then their stocks are quite there. And Australia do have a tradition of doing, I mean, I think Warren played after seven first-class games. I think Healy may have been eighth. Bradman. I mean, don't want to start matching yeah. Bradman. That's a bit of pressure, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? But uh, but nine or ten, McGrath, I think seven or eight. So they have got a tradition of doing stuff. And as you say, when the, the stocks are kind of uh, fairly bare, this is probably the time to do it. Uh, Mel Jones, the columnist, a columnist for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, got her piece in yesterday, and she was saying she was so happy that they didn't pick him for the India series because that would have just been too much pressure. The 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 kind of pressure cooker of that, the atmosphere of that series, and this is quite a good series to mm-hmm. to bring him in for. Really, I mean. There's added pressure because Australia, to lose at home to Sri Lanka really would be unthinkable. Mm. That would be another level of... Uh, but that, that's not going to happen. It will happen. I, I don't think. And there's a chance for him to kind of get his feet under the table and, and score some runs. She said as well that he's... I haven't actually... I've seen a few clips and I haven't seen him um, in any depth at all. But she said he's a, a massive, massive fan of Ponting. And you can see that in his technique. And in the same way you can see it a bit in Meg Lanning's technique mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and said that he's a kind of a, a fairly old school, technical, technically correct first class batsman which right. is yeah. really what Australia have, have, been, around, have, been, yeah. have been lacking uh, I mean there's a certain element to that in Matt Renshaw isn't he he's yeah. had a, a hugely successful time at, at Taunton yeah. last last year Joe Bones had a, a less successful time in county cricket uh, when he was with Middlesex and, and isn't quite as a uh, as much of a, a dig in um, type, type he's batsman. done really well though for not only Australia but in Sheffield Shield yeah. cricket so like, whereas Renshaw's had a poor run yeah. in yeah. Sheffield Shield and then gets back in even though they've said you need to score runs to be in the side they, they do seem to have tied themselves in knots by I think talking too much uh, I think Langer says too much I know yeah. we always want coaches yeah. to be open but I think there's a kind of a love of a quote that I think actually is kind of detrimental and you say so many things that you're going to be caught out um, uh, just just be a bit straighter just don't don't try and don't try and create policies and then have yeah. to stick to them. I think it's restrictive. Well, no, absolutely. And and uh, what we see with England is that Ed Smith, he doesn't have a policy, but he can justify mm. his decisions. And whenever you listen to Ed Smith, even if you don't agree with his decision, you can see perfectly the logic behind it. But it's not a one-size-fits-all. You must average so-and-so and then you mm. get it. Yeah. I think Picossi's a smart pick. Uh, it's a pretty low-profile <clears throat> series. If it doesn't go well, he's only 20 go back to Sheffield Shield, score some more runs. If it does go well, you know, he'll have test experience going into an Ashes series, which is a massive tour. And if they're looking ahead to that and thinking about who's going to be in their top six, um, it's good to get him in now rather than potentially straight into an Ashes series. So it's I think it makes sense. Certainly be interesting to see how many Australians try and get a county contract mm. who are not in the World Cup team mm. who come to county cricket at the beginning of the season ahead of an Ashes to try and force, force their way into an Ashes. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, Bukowski might like a yeah. little spell as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if he's even toured England with Australia youth sides, potentially, but he'll certainly need, it'll be, it's a tough, tough ask yeah. to play a couple of test matches against Sri Lanka and then potentially be mm-hmm. playing against Anderson and Broad in their, on their home patch. It's that Co- Coley quote at the end of the series saying the Duke's ball destroys anyone with an ego when they come and over. And anyone without an ego. Yeah, yeah true, true, true. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, uh, Matthew Wade was potentially quite unlucky not to win selection. He's done well this year. Um, Joe, you, you were saying that he's he's a different player to the player that was that last played for Australia. Well, this is what Mel Jones was again yeah. writing in a in a piece that Australia have 
well, Langer has said we'll pick the people who score runs. Wade scored more runs than than anyone else, I believe, in Shield cricket, and they haven't picked him. Uh, he's he's not young. He's had a chance before. Mel was saying that he's actually quite a, a different player, a different bloke to to the one that initially got picked. That he was almost picked in that kind of attack dog Warner role to to give some heat behind the stumps. Um, but now he's a more rounded cricketer who actually she thinks could score score quite heavily uh, at Test level. Um, but the numbers haven't worked for him a lot or, or Glenn Maxwell. I well, think yeah, we're going to talk about Glenn Maxwell. Um, You're on Langer's side for this one, though, right? Yes. I'm not on Langer's side. I uh, totally see why people uh, are up in arms at his non-selection because of the mixed messages that he got. He got told different things and he listened to them and people are claiming that he, uh, he he wants to focus on white ball cricket which by his actions just isn't true so I feel sorry for him in that but I don't think his numbers scream pick me uh, he averages like 39 in the last uh, two and a half three years um, but I guess <laughs> when you compare that to the other guys who are getting games for Australia that's actually pretty good yeah and I sort of think with Glenn Maxwell is he is he a, a bit of a Joss Butler that actually red mm. ball First class stats might not be the thing that you yeah. pick them for. I mean, there is something about Glenn Maxwell that's extraordinary to watch yeah. sometimes, yeah. isn't there? And he might be the the, the player that can just take it. Particularly, the, you know, maybe one in maybe one in five. Yeah, but that's enough. That is enough, yeah. particularly in the current side. And and also, who knows if you get properly backed, then your performances can. I find him very confusing character because I've never interviewed him personally, but did a piece uh, for All Out Cricket a few years back, which was about him playing club cricket in England. So I spoke to a couple of guys who played with him. I can't remember the name of the club now. But they could not have had higher praise for him. They said he was like the ultimate team man, uh, was brilliant around the club, has gone back to visit since, went on um, Cricket AM with the team because they were on that morning and just said he was just an absolute diamond of a bloke. And that doesn't necessarily marry up with the perception of, of Maxwell that, that goes around the big show nickname, which I know he hates. He hates it, yeah. So I, just, I, I feel I, a bit for him. Really yeah, so I, I, just, I feel a bit confused. I mean, I would, I would really like, he's a, one of the players I would like to interview and, and get he's to a, He's get a show your laptop lid type player, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he is one of the players who you think, I'm going to watch this mm. because something extraordinary could happen. Um, uh, whether that's enough, I mean, whether actually what Australia need is some just some gritty, you know, not that exciting to watch. I think it's extraordinary that he's not had a run in, despite what I said earlier. With the guys who who batted in the top six this year, just not doing very well. I think it's extraordinary he's not at least had a run. Um, Tar Hashim wrote for Wisdom.com earlier this week um, how Glenn Maxwell must wonder what life would be like if Ed Smith was his selector and really backed him, um, mm. and also what Josh Butler's life would have been if he's Australian, because he probably wouldn't be anywhere near Australia's test team. Um, elsewhere in the world. Um, Briefly, New Zealand won again. We talked a lot about them last week and how uh, basically their whole team's underrated. Um, Ross Taylor, briefly, he, he averages in the high 60s since the 2015 World Cup. I mean, really? That if, is, I knew he'd done well. That is extraordinary. If if you take out Virat Kohli, who averages 83 in that time, which is 83 in four That's years, um, he's, he's the best in the world of a four-year period in ODI cricket. Um, he scored nearly 300 runs in three innings. He's um, some player... Um, great to watch and New Zealand got to the World Cup final last time do you think there's any chance that they could have a similar kind of run this this time around? Absolutely because um, I, I think their bowlers will like these uh, mm. our conditions and they have as you say they're underrated they, the, the sum of their parts is greater than their individuals really actually because they, they're mm. just a, a real team and I think the having the pressure off because they're New Zealand and you know you, you kind of don't expect they don't, they don't they're not they don't have to 
be world beaters all the time because we all understand that they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they don't play as much, they don't have as great resources. But they're a really great team to watch, aren't they? I guess the concern might have been that they're maybe lacking one or two batsmen and therefore can't take 330s to 380s. But actually they've shown against Sri Lanka recently that they, albeit against not the strongest of attacks, they have shown that they can those post those big titles. And some of those young players who have played quite a bit are now seeming to kind of come into their own. I think they're a really good shout to to reach a... I mean, England and India's seem to be favourites by a reasonable distance, but I would I would have New Zealand in, in third, possibly, maybe above South Africa. Jimmy Neesham was in great form in the series, and um, it's going to be a real real dogfight to get into that New Zealand squad. Um, they've got uh, a number of fast bowlers, Bolt, Salvi, Milne, Ferguson, Henry, um, and then with the batting, Henry Nichols came into the side in place of Tom Latham, who was given a rest. He did really well, scored a 100 in the, I think, the final ODI of that series. So there's competition for places. And, yeah, and from so few first-class yeah, teams, from amazing. such a small pool of players, I mean, yeah. they're always punching above their weight. But and I feel... the interesting thing about all those names is they've all had little stints in county cricket. They know England, don't they? They've, they've played in the one-day competition mm. here. They, they're a real shout-out to me. I think they can just, you know, surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lizzie, you want to talk a little bit about the 100? Well, and the domestic structure, really, just because we're coming up to a sort of crunch time, really, in terms of announcements uh, of of the 100 and what it's going to look like, what the mm-hmm. branding's going to be, when the player draft is going to be, how much money each team's going to have. Um, there's a big meeting next Monday, the 14th, of what they call the whole game. It's the awful language that they use, but it, it's basically the, the, the 18 first-class counties, the chairman, the chief executives, and the recreational game. And they are going to be briefed by the ECB, which always sounds like horrendous, but um, on what the game will look like 2020 to 2024, including how much money is going to be around um, and uh, what the structure will look like. And when um, uh, uh, the, the county is particularly interesting to me is that I think it looks like the player draft will be in this autumn, this year, um, in a concession to the counties. I can completely understand why the counties were really worried about the player draft being at the beginning of... With no chance to plan for... Because if you are, sorry, you may lose 10 players um, to the the 100. And you've got to... Bolster your squad. Yeah. You know they're, they're playing cricket in that six weeks. Well, how does that practically work? If they if they do if the county does lose ten players, then they need ten more players for a short period of time. Mm. And then where do they go for the rest of the season? Well, I mean, if you're sorry, you can obviously <laughs> employ them, can't yeah. you? But um, uh, it. But smaller it, counties that have similar. They, they will use trialists. They'll use club cricketers. They'll yeah. use second eleven players. I mean, that fifty over competition in twenty twenty looks like an absolute. I mean, it's just a development. Mm. It's just a development competition. It's almost there's almost no point to it mm. other than to give some second eleven players. Which in itself is a kind of an exciting opportunity. Yeah. There'll be lots of cricketers who might not have played that much cricket, and still, some players rise to the top in first first eleven cricket mm. uh, without having necessarily shown that much form in second eleven. So we might see the odd player come through like that, which is quite quite yeah, exciting. Absolutely. Not a but, reason for a tournament itself. Well, yeah, it is no, I, I, but we are coming to the point where the details are going to be wrangled about, um, and we are going to start seeing some details of what the branding looks like and how they you know how much exactly how much money is being poured into the hundred which is huge i mean it is vast amounts of money we're talking nearly 40 million pounds a year for a six-week tournament it's a lot of money um and whilst there is extra money going into the county game uh, they're all getting an extra 1.3 million a year in percentage terms so the ecb are about to get 1.2 billion pounds for that period the percentage that's going into domestic 
cricket, in terms of county cricket, is much, much smaller than it's ever been because a lot of money is staying centrally in the ECB. And that significantly changes, and I, this is quite dry, but it significantly changes the way that English cricket is set up because the ECB were always sort of a bank. You know, the money came in and then they distributed it out mm. to other people to deliver things. In the future, they will be hanging on to many more central pots and managing things centrally. That significantly changes the nature of the governing body. So a lot of money is going to 100. Where Who's missing out? What competitions are, are losing that I money? Mean, there, will, there will be almost nothing goes into the 50, 58 mm. competition. It won't be on the telly. There will be no... I mean, I doubt it will even have a sponsor. I can't see Royal London wanting to yeah. carry on doing that. Um, uh, the Blast will... Uh, I mean, the Blast manages to have a, a run itself on a sort of 800 grand a year marketing budget. There will be five million pounds going on marketing a year for the hundred. It, it, it just is a, a statement mm. on what they see the priorities are, really. And what, what's your sense from speaking to players? Are players starting to warm to the idea, or is it we'll wait and see? Or? I mean, I wait and see. I, I don't think they're particularly warm to it. Um, I think there is genuinely, as there always has been, a sort of really why. Yeah. Um, particularly interesting is the women's game. Yeah, I was going to ask. Particularly how, how, does, how does it affect the women's game? Well, I, I mean, for a start, I don't know why you would need to do 100 balls in women's cricket because they bolt their overs so fast because there's mm. so much spin that mm. they all could all, you can already get a T20 into the window. Um, I, I, I'm expecting to see some significant shifts in the way that women's domestic cricket is, is set up. Um, to allow for there needs to be some sort of T20 competition. It's got to be, hasn't it? You can just see it. There's not that competition. Then we underperform in the next World T20, and then then you flip again, and the whole thing goes round again. It, it, they've got to they've got to respect the performances that England have already put in mm. enough to give them proper opportunity in those formats. Because otherwise, how can players come through? I don't understand. Is it, yeah. On the players, I, I, sometimes I think that the hundred is a fantastic personal opportunity for, for a lot of the players because if the competition gets more exposure, that's surely a good thing, right? And if you're a white ball specialist county player, that's great. You're getting more exposure, you know, uh, you'll be more famous, open yourself up for more uh, money on the side from cricket, potentially open yourself up for deals overseas in franchise leagues. You know, surely there are, there are cricketers out there who'd be actually looking forward to a competition that gets more exposure oh i think there are um and i think that you know they uh, some of them see this as you know uh, uh, an, i mean we're not talking mega money here this is not in any way shape mm-hmm. or form ipl money yeah they, mm. you know the top players will get maybe 150 grand it's still it's not a lot bad. of money for a six-week <laughs> tournament isn't it but we're not talking life-changing yeah, sums yeah. and the and the the county cricketers the domestic cricketers will get nowhere near that i mean not even close um, so we're not talking life-changing sums of money here, but there is exposure, and if it works, what I think is going to be very interesting is how you define success on the hundred. Now, what we've been sold by the ECB is that this will have full stadiums, this will see a spike in participation, this will see cricket going to the non-cricket, you know, audiences. Anything less than that, and I think we will say that's not what you sold us. Um, you know, if we've not got full stadiums, and I don't see how you fill Cardiff on a Monday night, irrespective of how many built yeah. balls you bolt, we didn't, we never have filled Cardiff on a Monday night. I don't know how you how you do it. And a measure has to be longevity as well, doesn't it? Because everyone will be excited when it first arrives, and we can all herald it as a success. As I'm sure it will be in the first year because it's new and it will be exciting, and the marketing budget will be huge. But we've already seen with the Big Bash, 
they've well they've now started doing it over a long period of time. We've said theirs is great, and now they seem to be replicating ours bizar- uh, bizarrely. But as we talked about before, and the, the crowds aren't great. Quality is quality so not not yeah. not brilliant there as well. So it can't just be brilliant first year. We've got to be looking at it in three four years. Has this actually has everything that's been put into it? added up to a successful product. And I think those of us who are deeply cynical about it uh, uh, feel that it is incredibly myopic. So it, that five-year period that they've done the broadcast deal for, yes, counties going to have more money, there will be more money. What happens in 2024 when you negotiate another broadcast deal? You're probably not going to get as much money for it because it's not going to be as exciting. Mm. Um, and And the damage that it does to other competitions is something that I think... If you're looking at what constitutes success, it can't just be, is the 100 filling out stadiums and our kids, more kids picking up a bat? It's, does it have a knock-on effect to your test team, your one-day team? I mean, good luck finding a one-day team for the next World yeah, Cup. If we, don't, mean, if we don't win the World Cup this year, we're never going to win it. Because <laughs> there isn't going to be, they're just people aren't playing 50 over. Yeah. Well, and, and just returning to Australia again, I mean, you've got Australia's chief of selectors bemoaning the fact that it was hard to pick a test team because they're all playing T20 cricket at that time. Now, <laughs> cricket fans want to see a successful test team. I mean, that's well, there are a lot of cricket fans. Co- traditional for granted, that's the most important in this thing. Country. I yeah. think what we notice is that fans get most irritated when we lose test series. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much um, any other format. I don't think anyone cares if we lose a two team to buy up, or do they? But they do care if we're not very good at test cricket. Yeah. And if you mess around with first class cricket, it has an impact on your test team. And that, even <clears> still. <throat> The vast bulk of the broadcasting money is for international cricket, not domestic cricket. I, I think the organisers are, are quite lucky that the that the talent in the current England Test side is so high. Um, that England are doing well recently, I think, despite the structure rather than because of it, and that because they have immensely talented players who can play all formats without needing to have played a huge amount of first-class cricket behind them to do well. I think if they hadn't had that, I think the public discourse and it would be probably even more the ECB response to that would be these players have come from somewhere though they have come yeah, they have come, come they've come through the, they've yeah, come yeah, through they're... the system or the or at Loughborough or they've come through county but country. that would be a response uh, to specific concerns about the amount of first class cricket players are playing because you know Butler Rashid etc weren't playing much before they go in so yeah, yeah I mean I, I, I think the see. other thing that's really really a real challenge for the ECB is that they made such a mess of the PR when they first announced the 100 that um, they're really grasping to to battle back the narrative. Mm. You know, nobody nobody is on side, really, particularly no one in the media, really, that I've noticed, is on side with this thing. Because it, it was, you know, the announcement was just a press notice in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. And we were all going, well, what's, where's that come from? Um, and so much cynicism <clears throat> that they've got a real challenge in terms of gr- grappling back the narrative. Why, why doesn't the media just back it, though? Uh, it's massive for cricket if it if it pays off and because it's, it's not it's, it's nonsense it's absolutely unnecessary. Um, there was no need for a new format and trying to shoehorn four formats into an already difficult season. But now they've made the the mistake of going for the hundred. Uh, why don't we all just back it? Because if because it is an amazing opportunity for cricket. Now they they may they may have missed made a mistake branding it. I Maybe don't think it is an format. enormous opportunity for cricket. I think it's an absolutely. Cricket on free to air TV. That's an amazing thing. Yes, but, but that was that was secured before we started. Was, yeah, that, that's yes, what I'm saying. Was, I'm saying that, that once they've made that decision, why don't now we go like, okay, they made a mistake, but let's let's, let's back it. Because the, uh, I mean, I think it's legitimate to say 
this thing is not the silver bullet that's going to save cricket. And actually, it, it's not risk free. It's not risk free for its own self. I mean, it might not. It might not be a success. People might not come and watch it. It's high risk to irritate your existing fans without definitely knowing you've got some new ones. And what they've managed to do by having it's not even the hundred balls <clears throat> is the issue. It's eight new teams with no history. No emotional attachment to them. You know, I think what we've seen in this country is that people don't really like franchise. They like partisan. They like history. They like something that they've been emotionally involved in. And if you come out with a narrative that this isn't for you, if if you already like cricket... You've done a lot of damage to your own. I, I agree. I uh, there was we talked about it a few weeks ago about uh, the 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 letter Mike Andrews, a Worcestershire fan, wrote mm. over the ECB. I totally see his concerns, but that's not what the hundreds for. Those cricket fans are still going to watch cricket. They're not going to disappear from the game. And I know that that is taking them for granted, but cricket is is a dwindling sport. Cricketers aren't that famous. We've got some of the most marketable cricketers England have probably ever had, but people don't know who they are. Jonathan Liu wrote in the last magazine that. Ben Stokes, you know, he's he's the ginger guy who couldn't get into a club. He's not nearly as famous as the all star all round as England had before. And I think this is the this is an opportunity and a realization that cricket isn't as popular as it used to be. And they understand that, and they're kind of doing anything they can possibly do, whether it's the right thing or not, to get it back into the. But journalists being uh, skeptical about this, I don't think has a really has a negative impact in that way and also I mean if they're trying to appeal to non-cricket fans then they're not reading what Lizzie's writing anyway my articles anyway. <laughs> that is a very um, good point yeah no, I, I just think the narrative should have been um, this is for everyone you know and actually what we'd really like is you as existing fans to come with us and this is why we think it's important and we really recognise that you invest your time emotion and it just really annoys me being rude about old people who watch cricket, which is what, you know, that there's been a narrative of there's no young people, it's all old people who are great. Now, these are the people who have got money, because none of us young people have got, us young people, I'm not young, but no young people have got any money. Um, they haven't got any time because they're all working, <laughs> working all the time. Let's not be rude about people who've invested their time, money and emotion into cricket and who give up their Sunday mornings to go and do Colts coaching. And this, I mean, you know, I, I think being rude about your existing structure is a really high that, risk that, strategy. That, that was a mistake, but obviously the, the future, the, the, the young people is important. Fewer young people are playing in 20 years' time. Those young people are going to be the I mean, people I who always, have the money. I do think that cricket has always been niche. We, we have a slightly rose-tinted view of the past. I've watched old footage of test matches. They're not full. Yeah. You know, we're, I, I think cricket has always been niche and probably always will be niche. Weird people like cricket, you know. Like us. <laughs> you like <Yeah>. us. <laughs> Well, well, we sold the hundred then. Um, <laughs> the the other big piece of news this week was the ICC announcing that they're giving a fifteen day amnesty for people involved with with Sri Lanka cricket to come forward um, to talk about corruption in the game. Um, does this mean that you know if if you've committed uh, you've been involved in corruption yourself, you can just come forward and then you're fine? Then if everyone comes out in these fifteen days, then they can't do anything about them. Well, it's not involved. <laughs> it's, it's it's if you've been aware and not okay. reported something. That's so that's that's the key bit here. So they obviously they the ICC are clearly convinced they have a case here and they're trying to put that together. Uh, this has never never happened before. It's unprecedented from the from the ICC and they take a lot of stick for being under resourced in this area and not necessarily taking it as seriously as they should have done in the past. And this is a really important step. We'll see what comes of it. Mm-hmm. The sense is, and you hear, I mean, certainly Nasser, Nasser Hussein's comments after um, Jaya Saria was initially um, charged, by the, charged by the ICC, uh, suggests 
he knows something more, these things get talked about in commentary boxes. So I think there's a there is a big big story here, and I think we're just starting to get to the root of it. I, I mean, I think we can see from from quite how much the the ACSU have, the anti corruption unit have attacked this one that there is something very very serious and mm-hmm. quite deep rooted going on in Sri Lankan cricket, and they are absolutely determined to get right to the top of the people who are running. You know who are, who are the instigators? They're not interested in the young first class player who may have. I mean, they may have even done done some some mm. fixing, but that's not who they're after. Um, they want to get right to the kind of dark world. Is it sim- systemen- oh, systematic. Right. Yeah, yeah, systematic yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but it, it is interesting because they really are absolutely determined. They are piling resources into this one. They've moved a team into. Sri Lanka, and they have got the bit between their teeth on this one. They're determined to get to the bottom of it. It's a very interesting move, and actually, I think to be applauded, it's really difficult. They get a lot of criticism, but it's really difficult for them because they are not law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You know that that that's not that's they don't have those mm-hmm. remits, so they have to work with local law enforcement, and that relies on the local law enforcement. Mm-hmm agencies working with you and that doesn't always happen that's definitely a story to keep an eye on in the coming weeks um lizzie what are you looking forward to in the next week of cricket <laughs> uh i'm looking forward to seeing mohammed um abbas bowling a bit more just because i think he's an absolute superstar and i think it was um wonderful that we had him in county cricket last year and i hope he comes back absolutely echo those sentiments 100 percent uh joe what about you um, well, I know we're still doing this one, but yeah. I'm looking forward to next podcast. Am why I allowed to do that? Yeah, yeah, but, but okay. well, why are you looking forward to um, next So weeks? we are planning a uh, West Indies special, looking back at some classic Caribbean tours. I think we're going to have Derek Pringle in the studio here. We've got um, an interview with Graham Gooch uh, talking about Viv's record fastest 100 um, and facing the fastest spell he's ever faced in, in Test cricket. Got an interview to play during that podcast as well. Another couple of things uh, in, in all lined up, so... I'm going to put it out there. I think it's going to be our greatest podcast yet. Apart from this one, Lizzie. <laughs> no apart from this one. No big claim. There. Very <laughs> big claim. Um, well, thanks, Lizzie, for coming on. That You're was great welcome. to have you. Joe, thanks as ever. Um, thanks for listening, folks. If you like the podcast, as always, subscribe and share it with your friends. See you next week. Podcast Network.